You know, uh, today, actually, um, marks uh, Connect Rome, which is the, the, the first one, uh, the first deal. Uh, it's actually Connect Rome's 40th anniversary today. Like today is a, the day. We, we started meeting in January, but actually at our grand opening weekly services actually was um, uh, March 29th of 2009. And then next week, which will be um, April 7th, will we'll mark one year since we had the grand opening in Somerville, which we had on um, April 8th last year on, on Easter. And so um, today kind of is like, I, I, don't, I guess it's our four-year-old and our one-year-old anniversary, which is kind of unique for me because I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old. And so like my kids kind of mark the, those time periods for us a little bit. And you know, we, I'd, I'd prayed through and thought, do, do we spend a lot of time celebrating in the past? We've like passed out birthday candle, or uh, cupcakes and uh, blew out candles and did all those things. And you know, here's, here's was my concern. In our four-year journey, or, um, or five-year journey for me, because I actually transitioned. I was at the church at Northside. I was their college and uh, college pastor. And I, Easter of 2008, I actually transitioned off their staff to spend a year getting ready to do this. And, um, you know, in, in that five-year period, we have done a lot of things that just didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, there, there are, um, in fact, uh, four years ago on Easter at our, uh, the, the week after our grand opening, uh, I, I sat on stage. I don't think it was this duel. It might have been. But I sat on stage, and while I was teaching, I got someone to pierce my face. I really did. I have no idea. Like, I, we were talking about Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes, we are healed, right? And so I thought, well, I want you to, to understand the squeamishness of that. It makes no sense. I have no idea. I, honestly, I'm not even being funnier. I really have no clue what I was thinking other than, hey, I think I should go pierce my face, right? And so I did that while people watched and passed out. Um, and so, um, and then we... We moved to, that was how we met in a, in a downtown in an in a actual physical nightclub. Um, and then we moved to the mall and spent a couple of years there. And, and over that, that period of time, um, man, I, the God, Jesus, has done some, some really incredible things. But none of them could I explain to you how we did it. You know, um, one of the weird things as you now a church that started from, you know, a few people in a living room to this and with our organization that we're connected to a couple of networks. Like I get the opportunity to go speak to church planners and tell them about planning churches. And they want to always ask us, well, what should we do? How much money do we need? You know, how many people do you need to start with? Do you, should, do you think you should rent a facility? Do you think? And I'm like, look, I, I honestly, I am clueless to how to do this. Like, to this day, and I'm not, that's not humble pie at all. Y'all, if you guys know me, that's just not even a realm I operate in well. But I'm not, I'm not being even slightly facetious. I am clueless to how we do this. I am clueless. Like, I am still dumbfounded that we are sitting in this old church, turned antique mall, turned auction house, turned flea market, turned back into a church. Like, I don't, I really am dumbfounded on how we ended up here. Like, I, I really don't have a clue. And so it, it would seem silly for us, I think, to celebrate something that we may have accomplished. Because I I, if it were us, if it were your elders, if it were me, um, we would have run this thing into the ground a long time ago. And so what made sense to me today in the middle of Easter Sunday is to talk a lot about how incredible Jesus is. And for some reason, while he continues to love us and continues to do incredible work and continues to allow us to witness it. You see, because uh, Jesus says something pretty profound um, in the Gospels to Peter after Peter finally says, Jesus, no, 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 you're not just a really talented guy. You're not just like have superpowers. You're not like, uh, like, you're not just like a superhero. You are God. Like you are the Messiah. And Jesus said, you're right. And he said, and Peter, I'm going to build my church. 
And then he says this, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. In other words, Jesus said he's going to do the work. We're going to get to watch it and get to enjoy it. And so it just makes sense that, uh, that on Easter Sunday, on the day that Jesus proved that he had all the power in the world, that we just talk about what he's going to do. And here's my, my hope. We're actually starting a new series. If, if you've been a part of this deal for a while, you've been with us um, through the book of John. For the last, I don't know, 40, 35, 40 weeks, we've just been walking verse by verse through the gospel of John. Because what made sense to us was, man, we don't need to tell you any more cool ideas or teach you how to do anything other than teach you about who Jesus is and then how to follow him. And so we thought, you know, we're just going to spend the whole, as long as it takes to walk through and make sure we all understand the gospel of John. I was looking back over my notes last week or two weeks ago at all the different notes. And we actually, from this stage or from the stage of Rome or some of read 95% of the Gospel of John aloud in, in, this, in this setting. And so um, the really cool thing is we finished that up last week. Jesus, you know, uh, uh, comes back alive. It's, it's pretty exciting news. And, um, and all those things happen. And then Jesus kind of spends these, this 40-day period post-death, okay, post-mortem, when he comes back, like, you know, 40 days with some guys, kind of telling them, here's what the plan is. And what we're going to pick up today is in the book of Acts, A-C-T-S. And it basically means the acts or the actions of the apostles. In other words, now that you, Jesus is saying, now that you know who I am, this is what you should do with this information. Hey, guys, now that you've walked with me for three years, here's what you should do with the information that I've given you. Here's what I want you to do. In the book of Acts, the book of these guys, crazy, redneck, uneducated guys, 12 of them, like, unor- like ordinary, unschooled men, these 12 guys, Jesus does something incredible. In fact, um, on this day that we're reading about in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, there's about 300 people. This is about at the end of Jesus' uh, life on earth. He's died, come back to life. He's at the end of that 40-day period, and he's about to ascend back into heaven, right? He's about to get on his stairway to heaven, ride up the escalators. It's going to be really a, a cool moment. If any of you have ever seen um, Greece, you know, the beauty school dropout moment, like that's kind of of how I envision this moment a little bit. And so Jesus is about to go into heaven and he's explaining some pretty cool things. In this moment, okay, in this moment here in, uh, in the gospel, in, in this moment, um, there's about 300 people, okay? 300. Ironically enough, this section down here seats about 270. So there's about 300 people sitting in this room right now, balcony down here. There's about 300 people. I mean, this is the size. I mean, this is the first gathering of Christians 2,000 years ago. This is what it looked like. There wasn't a, there wasn't a microphone. There wasn't fancy LED lights. There wasn't any of those things. But it was just 300 people sitting in a room trying to figure out what to do next. Right? I mean, that's the goal. They're like, uh-oh, well, Jesus said he's going to build his church. He actually said he's going to change the world, and now he's gone. And so he wants us to do it. Well, how do we do that? 300 people sitting in a room trying to figure out how to do something with their lives. They're basically saying, look, we've tried other things. I tried to be a fisherman. Found no joy in it. I've tried this. I've tried tax collecting. Didn't really work for me. I've tried all sorts of different things. Okay, maybe this is really what Jesus had in mind. So let's chase after it. 300 people in a room, and they're trying to figure out what is it that Jesus would have them to do. And I'm going to, um, let me just go ahead and, let me just go ahead and jump through the end and let, tell you what I hope happens for you. My goal for you today, the only goal we have in here, like, uh, you know, we want to make it simple for you guys, God, the only agenda, and I just want to lay it out in the front end so you don't feel manipulated in any way. The only agenda I have is to convince you that the best option we have as a church and the best option you have as a person is to walk out of here with a completely blank page and say, God, you fill it up. Which is both scary, right? Because we don't know exactly what God would have us do. And the other is, you know, like, we don't really 
have a clue that we fully trust that God will take care of us. And we don't even know that that will be exciting. And none of us want to wear robes all the time and sing all the time or whatever it is, right? So you're like, oh, I'm not sure I really want that. That part of it's scary, right? But the good part is just be honest. Aren't you just wore out trying to figure it out on your own anyway? I mean, it's the, 30, the 29th tonight, right? Most of your mortgages are coming up. First of the month is coming. You're waiting for that deposit to hit the bank because you're like, I have nothing left. I don't even know how to do it anymore. Your, our marriages are in a mess. Our families are in a mess. Like, we have, if we were just being honest, we'd say, okay, yeah, you know, maybe a blank page does make a little more sense because my page really isn't working out that well anyway. And so just for the next few minutes, I just want to walk you through why I honestly believe. Again, no manipulation. I'm not trying to persuade you. This isn't a persuasive speech. I have zero power to do those things. I just want to walk through you. Very non-emotional about this incredible story. That is like, that it's like the sequel to the Gospels. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four Gospels of Jesus' life. Jesus dies. He comes back to life. He, gives, he pours out his spirit on people. And he's saying, I'm leaving now. And this is the, the, the book of Acts written by Luke, who also wrote the book of Luke. Luke was a, a physician, like a good biographer. Like he was very, very scientific. He, had, he went and met with eyewitnesses and took down great notes. And he had this, this rich benefactor named Theopolis. And Theopolis actually funded Luke's entire journey of this. Hey, look, all I want you to do, Luke, is go research. And I need you to come up with the best thing you know about Jesus. I need you to figure out everything. I need you to go talk to his disciples. I need you to capture a book. And so Luke captures the book of Luke. Which is a little arrogant, I think. Hey, I, you know, yeah, Theopolis, I know you paid for it, but can I name it after myself? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then he, uh, then he writes the next book, and it's Acts. And Acts is just this. Acts is the actions of the church to plant churches. It's ironic that we sit here in this moment trying to figure out, okay, God, what is it you have us to do? What would you have us to do now? And what I'm, what I'm going to suggest is let's just chase after a blank page. And here's what I'm convinced of. If you give God a blank page, then our church... Because you're the church, right? I mean, it's not like the, the, the building and the steeple. You're the church. If we all give God a blank page, then our church will have to. You see, because what we're going to discover in the next 28 chapters of Acts is things are a lot different in the church. You're going to read a lot of stuff in this. We're going to read a lot of stuff through this that isn't like how we do church. They don't talk about, you know, three songs, take up an offering and a message, and then an invitation. They don't talk about buildings, really. So there's a lot of things that we understand in terms of the, how we have learned about church and discovered and planned out church that just have nothing to do with it. No, just one more sake of clarity. Um, that doesn't mean all the, all the things in Acts are prescriptive. What I mean by that is it doesn't mean that, that what, what the book of Acts is about is saying this is a how-to. If you follow these steps, you will have the perfect church. If you follow the steps, everything will be good. Because there's some messy things that happen. People die in this book. People lie. People, I mean, it's a messy, messy book. And so this isn't about getting it all right. This is about saying, okay, God, perhaps... You could do this again. Here's the goal. 2,000 years ago, he took 300 people. In a week, turned it to 3,000. In three years, turned it to half the world. In a week, multiplied by 10. In three years, multiplied exponentially. And so here's the question. If we just sang about a God who's still alive, that came back to life, and in John 14 it says, uh, Jesus said he'll give us another like himself, the Holy Spirit. And he says, and anything we ask in his name, he'll do. And he says, and you'll do even greater things than I did. Why couldn't he do it now? Why couldn't he do it here? I'm, I'm asking honestly, like, why couldn't he? Like, would it be that far-fetched that God would take a mu- bunch of messy people in the middle of nowhere 
Say, I want you to chase after my kingdom. I want you to trust me fully. I want you to give me a blank page. And I'll do immeasurably more than you could ever hope or imagine. That's what I hope happens for us. So let's jump right in. I'm going to read, I mean, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be in um, Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. We'll bring the lights up a little bit so you can see your Bibles, and they'll also be on the screen uh, uh, behind me. Let's pray. Jesus, um, you say in Isaiah that your word never returns void. And so, Jesus, that's my prayer, is not that uh, this will be eloquent or cute or funny or even memorable, God. The only prayer I have is that we will present your word and it will land in exactly the way you see fit. Like, God, it will. You say, as rain hits the earth and uh, precipitation hits the earth and produces the results and yields the results that you intended, so does your word when it's presented. So, God, we give it to you. Jesus, in the words of of your cousin, of your friend, John the Baptist, Lord, would um, would you decrease me so that you can increase? And, God, I, I sincerely mean this. God, if I say something out of turn, if I say something that doesn't need to be say, said, God, would, would you strike it from the record or strike it from my ears? God, if necessary, strike me mute or strike me dead so that only your word will be presented. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses, then we're going to jump to Acts chapter 2. But don't worry, I'll fill in all the good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff that happens here. So again, Jesus is just uh, came back from the dead. Wild everybody, showed that he was really God. So Jesus died on the cross to show that he loved us completely. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. And so Jesus took care of that because it says, but the gift of God is eternal life. So Jesus does a couple of pretty incredible things over this like six-week period of time. He dies showing he's incredibly loving and incredibly gracious. And he shows that bad things happen to good people because it happened to Jesus. And he volunteered for it. And he did it. And then he showed not only was he powerful and or loving enough to die for us. He showed us that it actually was meant something because he proved himself to be God by coming back to life. Okay, Even outside the realm of the Bible, you read the works of Josephus. Heck, if you read much of the stuff that was written around the time of Nero. There is a lot, lot of outside external sources that talk about Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, or the eyewitnesses of people with Jesus post his death. Okay, so this isn't just a Bible talk, this is a historical talk. So Jesus shows back up and says, Look, I'm God. How much more do you need? And kind of walks them through the journey of what had happened since the beginning of time to then. And now all of a sudden, Jesus is about to explain all the stuff that's about to go on. And Luke is capturing this and sending them back to his rich, rich benefactor, his rich, like, you know, a guy who's providing for this deal. And this is what it says, Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 1. It says in the first book, this is Luke writing, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So, hey, I wrote a book about all he did and all he did. I just kind of walked around and I asked people, I've already dealt with it, okay? Until the day when he was taken up and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So he said, okay, Jesus died. I, I, I captured all that in the first book I wrote you. No, no, here's the sequel. This is number two. And here's what he says, okay? He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. So, hey, you stay here with me, guys. This is what Jesus is saying. But to to wait for the promise of of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. This is Jesus' red letters, okay, in the book of Acts. This is Jesus talking here. Luke is just quoting Jesus. You heard from me, for John baptized with water. That's his cousin John who showed up and said, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him, repent for the kingdom of God is near. The God of this universe has showed up on this earth. His feet are touching the dirt on this earth. Prepare. That's what John's saying, right? For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, 
Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Here's what's going on. Jews have been punished for a long time. They've been in captivity most of their journey. They had they, uh, Throughout the history of God's chosen people here, okay? Um, they had had some moments of excitement and, you know, like, you know of, of, of good things going on. But for the most part, they were just beat down. They kept disobeying God. They kept being, back put, being put back in captivity. So that was just the story of, of the Jews. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, look, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. This is a reference to John chapter 14 where he says, hey, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you another, the same as me. In other words, hey, guys, it's good that I'm leaving because right now me and you are looking at each other and we're talking. But when I'm absent, you don't have me. But when I die, I will give you another just the same as myself. It'll be the spirit. It'll be me in a, in, in a form that can fit inside you, like can live with you. That means you will never be separate from me. That means we'll never have conversations across like this anymore. I will actually indwell you, like I will live in you. And I understand that sounds really creepy, okay? Like if for someone who, who's not there and doesn't believe in that, that sounds pretty creepy. You mean there's this, like this God who somehow like turns into a ghost and then comes and like, I don't know, I swallow him in a pill and then all of a sudden he's in my heart, you know? So, so it sounds more like tapeworms, right? I mean, if we're just being honest a little bit. And so it is a weird deal. And so Jesus is trying to explain this. They're not getting it at this moment either because they don't understand completely. So when he says, I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit, they just bypass over there. They're like, whatever, you know, that's the only kind of, spirits I know about. They, I mean, they make you do some crazy things, but I don't know, you know. And so then he's, so they completely bypass this, and they look Jesus in the eyes and says, look, are you going to restore this deal? In other words, okay, you died. You proved your God. We believe you're the Messiah now. Can you, can you make this work out for us? Because we're still getting a beat down. We're hiding in like a cave right now, Jesus, right? I mean, are you going to restore? Like, are you going to bring the, you said that you prayed this prayer. Remember, Jesus, you prayed it. You saw to pray. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, Jesus, are you going to restore Israel to the way that you intended it in the beginning? This is Jesus' response. He said to them, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, hey guys, you don't need a step A, a step B. You don't need a timeline. Ain't going to do you any good because it's going to make you just sit there and wait on the timeline. It's going to ruin you. You don't need a timeline. It's not for you to know the timeline. Jesus, when are you going to fix this problem? Hey, hey, hey. It's not for you to know the timeline. And then he, change, well, he, and he changes, changes direction a little bit, and this is what he says to him. Verse 8, but, okay, you don't know the time, okay? I understand that that could cause you some anxiety, but, 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 listen, listen, you know, like, oh, yeah, I understand you want to know this, but, hey, here, I got, even though I'm leading with a no, even though I'm leading, I'm not going to tell you, I got some really good news on the back end. Here's what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Verse 9, and when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up like beauty, shoot, beauty school dropout. You see it right here? And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, <laughs> as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So in other words, so what I imagine happens, they're watching this and they're like, okay, Jesus said he was going to give us something. We're waiting on it. And then all of a sudden he just disappeared like poof into the sky. And so they're just standing there. And I, I mean, I'm guessing. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, this is my understanding, okay? This is, this is not uh, explicit in the text. But my, my guess would be that they probably stood there for a while. I mean, if I saw 
God and, like, beam himself up. I mean, I'm not even a Star Trek fan, you know. None of that stuff here makes any sense to me. But that's a pretty cool moment, right? And, like, if I were to see just Jesus go, like that right there, and, like, I would stand there and look for a while. And I would talk about it and be like, hey, did you understand what just happened? Like, I, I don't even know where he went. Like, I don't see any buildings. And I'm not, you think he's asleep in the clouds? I mean, what's going on up there? Like, there's something going on up there. Jesus! Jesus, like is, this the, like, is this the real one where you're going to be away for a while, or is this like the short one? Like, should we, should we wait? You know, like that's, I imagine, like, I don't know, like, let's play a game of rummy while we wait, just in case Jesus comes back, you know? Hey, you want to play poker and gamble? No, Jesus is watching, you know, like this whole deal. And so they're just sitting there, like they're wondering, okay, Jesus, what, what do we do here? And this is when and finally these two guys, like, you know, like the, the bouncers come into the club and say, Jesus didn't come back to the club. It's time for y'all to go home. Well, well, you mean Jesus? No, 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 no. He'll come back eventually. He's going to come back in the same way. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. But it's going to be a while probably. So you just go and do some work, and he'll be here eventually, like tomorrow. Look, look that's not for you to know. The God gave you the spirit. No, go get to work, right? That's, that's Acts 1 through 11, right? That's some good stuff. Jesus shows up. Jesus goes into heaven, which is really the Easter story, if we're being honest. Like, it's Jesus defeats death, but he does more than defeat death. He made everything right again. And then he went back and sat in the role that he always had, which is at the right hand of his father and that's what he's doing in fact jesus says in john 14 he's going to prepare a place for us that where we are he will be also right he says in my father's house are many many rooms so what he's actually saying he's saying hey look i'm going back up and i'm going to prepare a place for you the only assumption i can operate under is if he hasn't come back yet it's because his place isn't prepared for us okay I don't know if it's six literal days from, you know, or not. I don't know if there are 24-hour periods. I don't even feel like having the discussion from the stage today. But uh, it said, in the beginning, God, six days later, the whole universe existed, right? You're talking about six days, God did a lot of work. Jesus has been gone 2,000 years, right? And it says he's preparing a place for us that where he is, we may be also. And he says, and you know the way to get there. And Thomas, doubting Thomas, says, no, no, I don't. And he says, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. So Jesus is up there. He's preparing. So that's where he went. And so now all of a sudden, these ragamuffins, messed up people, rednecks, uneducated, these guys are getting together and saying, uh-oh, I guess it's up to us now. And the first thing they discover is, whoa, whoa, Jesus gave us 12. I think that's probably an important number, but Judas had to go and mess it up. We only got 11 left. So this is, I'm, this is what's going on in the, the second part of chapter 1. And so they're trying to figure out, okay, who, who, do, we, who do we get? And they're, they're processing through, who do we bring in? And they... they, they they get to two names, okay? They get to two names. And they can't decide which one of the two guys to, to, to get. And this is a real conversation between 300 people. They're like, it's like a tug of war. We want, you know, Barabbas or what, and we want Mat- Matthias or whatever. And so they're having this battle. And finally said, you know what? Let's just draw straws for it. I kid you not. The, um, the 11 disciples roll dice to figure out the 12th disciple. I know this is draw straws. I don't know, Jesus. We're hoping you're in this too. And they land on a 12th disciple. His name is Matthias, or Matthias, depending on how, how you pronounce that. And so they get 12 disciples, and then we get into Acts chapter 2, and this is a pretty incredible moment. So they've gone from these 300 people, and they're just worshiping, right? Like, things are really good. But the unique thing is these people weren't all the same. You know, like, uh, we all kind of at least 
most of us in here speak the, I mean, even if it's not your first language, you, you understand, you comprehend some, some English, right? I mean, and so we're having this conversation. You understand what I'm saying here that you're asleep by this point, you know, like, and so that's, go, that's going on right here. Where, when these 300 or so people gather together and more and more people start to gather together, the problem is, is there are dozens, I think up to 13 different languages that are happening in this moment, right? And so these 13 different languages, they're all speaking and they're all trying to figure out what's going on. They're like, look, we believe Jesus is God. And so this is like the, the first Christian convention, right? I mean, it was the one, like before the, the, the conventions where everybody wore suit and ties and now the conventions where everybody wore holy jeans and V-necks. That's the new Christian conventions. And so skinny holy jeans. Well, maybe not holy anymore, just skinny jeans. Um, and so they, they all come to, uh, together and all these different languages are being spoken and something crazy happens, right? As they're speaking all these different languages, even though they're communicating in different languages, everybody is hearing this conversation in their native tongue. Lots going on. I mean, it's crazy. Like, it is. I don't know if y'all are in this, um, this, um, uh, this environment on Friday night for the night of worship. There are a couple people up here doing some kind of rain dance. You know what I'm talking about? They were doing some kind of rain dance. I'm like, man, I need to stop that. We got a lot of equipment in here, you know? Like, we don't need any rain to come in here. Like, there's, like, all sorts of dancing on the stage. And I grew up in a very traditional background, you know, like I remember like seeing the first lady, her name was first lady, not as the pastor's wife, but the first lady I ever saw do this. Her name was Barbara Beagle. And I remember her sticking her hand up in the air about this high right here during um, the doxology. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, some guys in black suits are going to come escort her out. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like yes. you know, and then occasionally you did like the spirit move and you'd see a couple people that keep it right here. They keep it right here, not above the shoulders. They keep it right here, right? Right here, right? You know, like, we got people up here that are Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. You know, they're like this right here. They're like, with our powers combined, you know what I'm saying? We got, we got folks, we got Savannah who does the, the carousel move. You know what I'm talking about right there? Like, and so, uh, you know, like, um, that, this is new to me. This is new to me, right? I mean, I'm not against it. I will say, again, it's not about how you worship. It's about who you worship. Um, but, but for these folks, like, there was some crazy stuff going on. I mean, they were so excited about God and what Jesus just did. They just saw him zap into heaven. Like, they're 100. You could not convince him Jesus wasn't real. And so they are so excited, right? And they're, they're pumped. They're, they're like, oh, my goodness, God is real. We can understand each other. I don't know what's going on, but something really crazy supernatural is going. And what was going on is what the Bible says is the Holy Spirit, like God in the third form, the part that resides in us, lands in that place, and it's just nuts. And the outsiders, like the, the Jewish officials and the Romans, are like pointing there and saying, what are these guys on? I kid you not. That's what it says in the Bible. Like, why are they drinking? Like, what's wrong? They are drunk. Like, and so the, this is going on. Peter hears this. The 300 people are there. And Peter steps up. And you're going to hear a lot about him in the book of Acts. And Peter steps up and kind of gives this, this speech. He only really has one. He only has one sermon. It's on repentance. But like over and over again, you see it through the book of Acts. But Peter stands up and he kind of gives a rebuttal to what these Jewish and Roman leaders are like thinking about. Oh my goodness, you guys are crazy, right? That's what he says. And this is what it says. This is Acts chapter 2. I'm going to begin in, in verse 14. So they just accused all these guys of being drunk, okay? Verse 14 in Acts chapter 2. Peter stands up and he says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. So he's like, listen up. I need everybody's attention. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. <laughs> they're, saying, they're, like, they're not drunk. It's still morning time. Now, if it were 7 p.m., I understand your concern. This were 10 o'clock at night, okay, maybe. It's like 10 in the morning. It's 9.30 at the latest, right? It's only the third hour of the day. These guys aren't drunk. 
That's in the Bible. That's why you should read it. Isn't that funny? But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Verse 17. In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit in all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs of the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Verse 21, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be, uh, shall be saved. Verse 22, men of Israel... Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered upon, up according to the, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So hey, men of Israel, you can judge and call these bu- a bunch of drunk folks, but what's really going on is this guy Jesus, who we all saw do some pretty incredible things that now is living in us, you killed him. That's what they're saying. Hey, look, you saw him do all these things and you decided to kill him anyway. Right? That's what's going on here. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. In other words, God couldn't be couldn't stay in the ground any longer. The grave couldn't hold him. Like God, who is alive, could not be held in a tomb. Like the pains of death could not, you, like you think he should have stayed in there. Look, it was impossible for him to stay in there. It wasn't in his nature. He's God. He said, earth, be there, and it was. You think he can just sit in a tomb? He said, you put him there, and the, the chains couldn't hold him. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried in his tomb with us to the day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. Here's what, David, here's what Peter's saying. Hey, hundreds and hundreds of years before this, God spoke to one of your kings, men of Israel, David. The one who we know lived, we have a record of it, and we can know his tomb where it is. You know he died. Like, he's someone that you celebrate as a leader in your generation, like a leader of your belief system, of your worldview. And they're saying, but God promised to David, your, your leader, that he would do this. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out his hand that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all this house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. In other words, you keep celebrating this David as some figure. Do you not understand? David never came back to life. Jesus did. 
David, David, you're missing it. David wasn't the point. David was pointing to the point. Like David was a guy with a voice talking about this guy, Jesus, that you're trying to destroy, this guy you tried to kill, and it just was impossible. The grave couldn't hold him. So now you're bothered by a bunch of people who are madly in love with a God. What you can't help is they can't. What you can't understand is they can't help it. You see, when we see a God who poured out his spirit on us, when we see Jesus who looks us in the eyes and weeps when we weep, who said, look, I will, I will go to death for you, and then prove that I'm capable of dying and paying the price for your sins by coming back to life. You see, for us, we just can't help it. You know, it's one of those weird arguments that, you know, like as, as, as a Christian, and I, and I get this, and I even understand it, I really do, because I think... I, I, I grew up in a culture that was real quick to hold up signs and tell people why they're wrong. I use a bullhorn and yell at them. They were real quick to not even walk across the line and get to know someone before they judged them and condemned them and told them they were going to hell. Like, I grew up in that culture. So I, so I get it completely. I get the dogma and the closed-mindedness of it. Like, I, I fully do. Like, I completely do. And some of you, like, this is probably the first time you've been in church in a really long time. And let me just say, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that... Uh, we didn't represent Jesus well. I'm sorry that we were too busy trying to change your behavior that we forgot to love you or care for you. It's not that we forgot, we just didn't care. There's a generation of folks who decided that they would just legislate change instead of be change. But that's not how it always was. In fact, in Acts 17, 6, we'll get there eventually. It says these guys loved Jesus so much and went over the whole world and they turned the entire world upside down. And so I get the dogma of it, but I don't, I don't know how not to be really happy about Jesus. I mean, let me explain. I don't know how not to be excited. I don't know how to worship with my hands in my pockets. Because when you see God for who he is, and you see that God made himself available to everyone, every creed, every nation, every tongue, every socioeconomic class, like God made himself fully available and poured himself out and then died so we didn't have to. Like, I can't help but celebrate him. It's not that I want to be closed-minded. It's not that I don't want to consider any other options. It's that Jesus said he was the option and history proves that he did it. I can't help but celebrate him. It's not that I want to be offensive to anyone else, but Jesus is God and he's worth celebrating, so we do. And that's what Peter's saying. Look, look, what do you want to have happen here? Like, do you see that these guys look Jesus in the face? Thomas, Thomas, come here, come here. Tell them. Tell them you touched Jesus' side. Man, I touched it. Like, I didn't even believe it was him, but I touched it. And it was like a big hole. Like, tell, tell, them about the, tell them about the nails, Thomas. Man, I tell you, I looked Jesus in the face. And I said, there's no way. There's no way. You are a dead man, you know? And, and Jesus kind of stuck his I, I felt him, I'm telling you. Like, you know, want to know why I'm crazy up here dancing and screaming? Because my God is alive. I can't help it. And so what Peter's saying is, look, like, you're the one who put him in the grave. And now you want to... Uh, you want to, us to stop being excited that he came back out of the grave? And he continues, and this is what he says. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, this is them looking at him in the eyes. These are all these guys saying, okay, maybe we're wrong. Brothers, what shall we do? I can't think of a better question to ask, and I don't, can't think of a better question to answer here. Okay, if Jesus is really God, if he really came back to life, he really defeated death, and right now he is preparing a place for us. And where he is, he wants us to be also. Well, then what should we do? Luckily, Peter answers it very, very explicitly, and this is the only sermon he's ever preached. Here it goes. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, that God who was there, like you don't even believe that God will come and dwell with you. He'll walk with you. He'll never ever forsake you. He'll never leave you. There's nothing, not angels, not demons, no death. Nothing can separate you from that God. Go just repent. Be baptized. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls himself. Here's what he's saying. This isn't some make-believe fairy tale. It's the answer to every question you have. Why are you lonely? Why are you hurt? Why are you sad? Why are you tired? Why do you feel like there's more to this world than what you're currently experiencing? The answer is because there is more in this world. And his name is Jesus. Why do you feel like, oh God, I don't really know what truth is. Is it relative? Is it absolute? No, truth is a person. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. So as we search through, and again, not trying to be dogmatic, I just really love Jesus. We just really love Jesus. In just a little while, you're going to see a bunch of, 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 of teenagers like, who are going to come get baptized. You know why they're getting baptized? They love Jesus. They lead us in worship every Sunday because they love Jesus. And I'll just be real, let me just be real frank in this deal, okay? The music is a, a, a little awkward here at times. We're working on sound still and all those kind of things. But will we always have lights and will we always chase after God? Yeah, we will. Not, well, I say that. If God tells us not to, we won't. But I'll tell you, we are seeing a generation in this place that is just baffling to me. And we're going to pick up these 10 and 12 and 14 and 16 and 18-year-olds and we're going to sit them on our shoulders and we're going to say, chase after the Lord. And here's, the, here's what I'm going to tell you. You can either fight it or you can fund it. It's really that simple. And I know that sounds really frank and really rough, but I, I am 100% confident in what's going on here with our student ministry that I will go to the death for it. And you should too. What's going on here is supernatural in a way that I can't explain it. What we're reading about in Acts, we're seeing in our student ministry on Wednesday nights. Don't believe me, just come this Wednesday. You're more than welcome. They'd love for you to be here. Come, come sit up in the balcony or come worship with them. 6.30 right in this place. And you're going to see some of them say, I love Jesus and I just want to be baptized. And here's what it says. It says, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. You know, one of the things I think we've always battled with, and you've heard this, like this isn't new, right? And this is what we're going to wrap up with. You've heard the words repent, and it's like, oh, there it is. There's that guy with the bullhorn screaming at me, telling me I'm going to hell because of my behavior. You, you hear it and you think it, right? I mean, we all do. It's like, oh, and that word just has such nasty connotations. And here what we think, you know, we, we say that it means to relinquish control. That's what I'll tell you here. It means to literally do a 180. It means you're going this direction, and all of a sudden you're supposed to turn and go back this direction, whatever. That's what we've always heard, right? Well, here's the thing. Repentance has nothing to do with your behavior. Do you know that? Nothing. The Greek word literally has nothing to do with your actions at all, which is weird. We're reading the book about actions, and the Greek word has nothing to do with actions. The word repent literally is translated and means to change the way you think. That's all it means. So when Peter says this, when John the Baptist shows up and says, repent for the kingdom of God is near, when Peter says it here, repent, what he's saying is, He's not saying, stop smoking today, stop cussing. That's what we think, oh, better stop cussing today and then Jesus will like me. It has nothing to do with your behavior. It literally means to change the way you think. In other words, hey guys, you just need to realize you've had it all wrong. You see, because here's how it works, right? Our thoughts are our beliefs, right? Our beliefs, what we believe, what we believe determines our thoughts, right? 
and our thoughts or determine our actions. So we spend all of our time trying to change our actions, but we don't need to change our actions. We need to change our, what we believe so that it will change our thoughts, so that our thoughts will change our actions. And so what Peter is actually inviting people in on is, hey, look, maybe you could just admit, maybe we could just admit we had it all wrong. In view of who God is, is that this, what, this is what um, Paul says in Romans, in Romans chapter 12, he says, Therefore, brothers, because of what Jesus did, because you should reconsider this, because of, because of the fact that Jesus died and came back to life, the first 11 chapters of Romans, that's what it covers, and it talks about how messy we are, but not to make us feel guilty, but to see us, allow us to have hope that Jesus can fix it. In Romans chapter 12, he says this, Therefore, brothers, I urge you. In other words, because of all that Jesus did. In view of God's mercy, because you can now see what Jesus did for you, freed you from captivity, freed you from slavery, guaranteed you an eternity with them. In view of that mercy, this is what he says. He says, offer your bodies as a living act of worship. For this, therefore, brothers, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, for this is your spiritual or reasonable act of worship. So this is logically what you should do. Again, let's appeal to the brain. Just think about this. Because of what Jesus did, this is what you should do. And he goes on. He says in verse uh, 2, Romans 12, 2. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. But be transformed by the, listen to this, renewing of your mind. That same word, renew. word we still use today for renovate. In other words, it's the stuff we, when you go and you clean out a bathroom, which is what we've just done. We took all the stuff we didn't like out. We ripped it all out. We put the stuff in that made sense, right? And so what Paul is saying is you need to renew your mind. In other words, you need to renovate everything you ever understood because you're sitting better. In Psalm 45, David's writing, and he says, Listen, O daughters, consider and give ear. Forget your people in your father's house. Hey, hey, listen up. God is your groom. Like, listen, you need to forget everything you've ever known. You need to unlearn all that. Forget your people. Forget your father's house. And he makes a very clarifying statement. For the king is enthralled by your beauty. He's enthralled by your beauty. So honor him. For he's your Lord. So what Peter's saying here is, look, you don't need to change your behavior today, guys. You just need to acknowledge that your belief system is just mystic. And here's what Peter wants you to know. Jesus is enough. That's it. Everything else is grace. Anything outside of hell is grace to us because that's what we deserve according to what I understand in Scripture and according to what I understand in my own heart. But Jesus is enough because he pays the price for that. So what Peter offers is he says, repent. Repent. Change the way you think. Six reasons why I think you should repent. One, Jesus is worth it. Simple enough. Jesus is worth it. Two, he gave us power. It says in Acts 1-8 that he gave us power. Like he gave you the Holy Spirit. So of course you should repent because that, the only place you have access to power is Jesus. Three, he gave us purpose. He actually says in Acts 1a that we would be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth, meaning we are the ones. Like he gave us all the same purpose to be his witnesses. For the stakes are high. There are people in this room who don't know him. And I'm not trying to scare you in any way. Because I don't want to use a scare tactic. What I want to tell you is that Jesus wants to spend eternity with you. And your kids. And your neighbors. And your coworkers. The stakes are high. Five, there's really no other good option. Most of us can attest to that. We've, we've tried the other ones. They haven't really worked for us. 
and six, because God has something pretty spectacular planned for us. As a church, what I want you to have an open page, blank pages right now as we walk through this is, okay, God, how do we chase after this together? Look, we, I'm dead serious. We want you to be a part of this thing. We, we think you're supposed to be. Not because we have all the answers, but because we'll pick you up when you fall. That's actually the only, that's all we really have to offer. We don't have all the answers. We're messed up. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to use God's word. But what we can guarantee is we'll pick you up when you can fall. It's what's really cool about this is what, what, what Jesus says happens, um, or Luke says happens, right after Peter makes this statement. This is the picture, and I just want to pull it up. It's Acts 2, 41 through 47. Let me just read it with you. Here's what it says. So those who received this, his word were baptized, and there were, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So 3,000, from 12 to 300 to 3,000. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the two fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed, believed, were together and had all things in common. They were a family. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. I think that's what God's inviting you in on. I think that's what the blank page looks like. I don't, I don't know anything else other than I think you're supposed to be a part of a family. I think family's the only way it works, and that's what the invitation this deal is. And so what's going to happen is I'm going to pray. And then we're going to have some folks up, and we're going to baptize them, and then we're, going to, we're going to sing a song and get out of here. Um, but let me tell you a couple of things. Some of you need to make this decision. Some of you need to say, I need to repent and be baptized. Not this morning, but you just need to say, God, I need to change the way I think or to change the way I view things. And the really great thing is we will have baptism set up next week as well. And many of you, many of you need to follow these students' lead. Many of you need to come and get baptized. Not because this saves you. Getting dunked in water doesn't save you repentance and saying, Jesus, you're, I believe you're the only option for me. That's what saves you. And so we'll have this available next week. And there's a couple of ways you can do that. One, you can go to your phone right now if you have a smartphone, and there's actually a baptism form. You can fill it out. Or you can, um, you can log on later or the, uh, uh, connectcitychurch.com. There's a place you can click baptism form. Or you can fill out a connect card out front. Or if you just want to fill out a connect card, you can also do that on your smartphone or at Connect City Church. Not trying to impress you with our technology, really just trying to make it simple for you to connect to God and each other. And so I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to explain to you some baptism stuff. And then we're going to sing, Jesus, you're kind and you're loving and you're gracious. And Lord, uh, that's, all, that's all I know. I mean, that's really all I know. And um, God, I don't have much to offer other than you, Jesus. And, but I believe you're enough. And so God, as we figure this out together as a family, would you help us chase after God for the folks we're about to celebrate with? Would you help us celebrate and celebrate well? Um, so Jesus, um, you're king and you're Lord and you're savior. And these students who are about to stand up and profess that God know you, which means they, that you live in them, which means you have more hands and feet on this earth to do your work and to restore your kingdom. And God, these, these, these folks, these students, God, have been ripped out of the, the jaws of hell, God, and have been guaranteed an abundant life with you, which means they can operate daily with gracious and generous hearts, and we praise you for those things, Jesus. Amen.